My name is Stephen Riley. I'm lead pastor here. It's a privilege to serve you. And this day, this message is one I'm asking God help uh, to deliver this message. I'm also asking God for all of our ears to be wide open. Um, I have um, been sensing this need for us to have a a a a you know a heart check in the area of worship and really the whole charismatic movement which we were a part of and were really birthed uh, from back in the early 80s is a movement uh, marked by worship and it was worship and teaching of the word was key forces that God was bringing to the earth, to the body of Christ, and and the churches that were just doing the same, and I'm going to use the word traditional, that's not a bad or evil word, but a traditional 60-minute service, keeping preaching to 20 minutes, several hymns, and just keeping the same pattern, not growing with the Spirit of God, this, this charismatic movement uh, back in the 60s and 70s, they just broke out of that and said, we want more word, we want more worship. Our hearts long for more. And, and it was just, it's a beautiful, beautiful uh, emphasis of the Holy Spirit that the church world needed and the church world grabbed onto it. And now... Uh, Evangelical churches have Bible teachers that are amazing, and worship leaders and worship teams are just coming out of not just charismatic Pentecostal churches, but evangelical churches. So God accomplished what he wanted to do, and yet we don't want to lose that. We don't want to lose that, and because it's still a work of God and the work of the Holy Spirit in, in today's world, it, it hasn't gone away. It's still a movement of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is doing more than that. There's always more that God is revealing. And so that, that's, uh, you know, a real motivation here as your, as your pastor, as your leader, uh, 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 senior leader, uh, uh, I wanted to say lead elder. I'm trying to get in all the words mixed up there. And um, that that this is a season asking God to revitalize our heart, hearts and worship. And people traveled back in the 80s and 90s because churches weren't engaging in worship out there. And, and, and we had people coming from five different counties uh, for a couple of decades uh, to be a part of that worship. And yet we know that corporate worship is not the only place or the only uh, place God wants us, corporate, when we gather, worship, right? I mean, we fall way short if we just focus on worship uh, before the preaching happens on Sunday morning. We're falling way short, aren't we? God wants this to be a part of, as Julia was, Julia was saying earlier in, in worship, that this is part of our daily life, our daily habit of thinking and, and, and going throughout our day. And so all that is just Introduction, not in my notes, just some helpful perspective on where we're at. 
And um, I'm going to go ahead and pray for us that we are able to really um, receive from the, what the Holy Spirit has for each other, each one of us. Lord Jesus, you are so worthy to be praised. And our greatest efforts to worship and praise you, we, we give to you, but we, we need your help in even wanting to worship even desiring it during a busy day or a day of, of struggle or pain, Lord God. Father, we, 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 we want to grow in our worship here as we gather, but we want to grow in our worship the other six days of the week as well. And so, Lord, make our hearts soft today, this morning, uh, to hear what you're saying to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So the title of this message in, in this David series is The Fear of the Lord is the Beginning. The Fear of the Lord is the Beginning. And some of you know that a particular verse in Proverbs, and you want to go there, and we will, but it's, it's more than that. And, uh, but the Fear of the Lord is the Beginning. And in today's story of, uh, in David's life, we're looking at when he is bringing the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. And so we need to spend a little time to review and also for some people to kind of get for the first time a better understanding what was the Ark of the Covenant. And <clears throat> here's a picture of it. You can just kind of leave it up there for a while. This was instructed by God to make, and in it they put three things. Uh, according to different uh, places in the Scriptures, the Ten Commandments, uh, those two tablets of the Ten Commandments, Aaron's rod, and uh, and then a jar of manna. Let me review what those things are. The Ten Commandments, this would would represent God giving a, a, a how to live a holy life, the Ten Perfect Commandments to live a holy life, reflecting His perfect holiness, and so that's one thing that, that this represented was his perfect holiness. Aaron's rod was, uh, bless you, brother, uh, <laughs> um, Aaron's rod, Moses uh, was the one who led the Israelites out of bondage and slavery in Egypt, and he had a rod, and his right-hand assistant, Aaron, also had a rod, and if you look at it carefully, both of them, God would instruct them to use their rod at certain times for these plagues that overtook and ended up just uh, decimating the most powerful nation and army of the, of the world at that time. And so Aaron's rod represents the power of God over the greatest earthly kingdoms of the earth. That's his power. So his perfect holiness the Ten Commandments, his perfect power, and then thirdly, his perfect provision of manna that God provided uh, this, you know, they say this jar of manna, put it in this box. This box was uh, about three, almost four feet long, two and and one quarter feet high and two and one quarter feet deep. And it was all made of acacia wood and overlaid with gold. A lot of, I think all of the articles put in the tent of meeting and the, and the tabernacle and temple for worship was overlaid with gold. Hey, 
God likes gold, ladies. See, see, you're not so far off. You're, you're right in there uh, with the heart of God, right? You love gold, but so does God. He just wrapped all of this stuff in gold. In fact, the acacia poles there would have also been overlaid with gold. I don't know why in this image they didn't put that in there. But um, another unique aspect, not just what was inside, but what they, God instructed the details of the top of this box, okay? And it's called the mercy seat. And it's two angels called cherubim that are all connected, and they're in this, they're looking down at the center, which is the mercy seat. And the mercy seat is the place where God speaks and where his presence rests. So you have God the Father, you have the Trinity, God the Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. They did not have, like you and I have, the wonderful privilege of having the Holy Spirit indwell in us when we choose Jesus Christ as Lord of our life, we become a new creature, we become a child of God, the Spirit of God lives. They didn't have that. So this was a way for them to have the presence of God, and this mercy seat is where God was, and we'll read a scripture on this in a moment. And, and so this was the, where the Spirit of God uh, rested. Let's read a moment about this mercy seat, Exodus 25, verse 22. And there I will meet with you, and I will speak with you from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim, which are on the ark of the testimony, about everything which I will give you in commandment to the children of Israel. And so this, is, this ark of the covenant resembles the presence and holiness of God, the perfect power, the perfect provision of God, and all of the sacrificial system, this, this once-a-year uh, sacrifice to the Lamb, the offerings when they would come for the three feasts to Jerusalem and, and have offerings, all of this was a understanding and give them understanding, a reminder, God is holy, you are not. And you've got to go through all of these rituals that remind you that I am holy and you are not. They got, in, in, the in, in the instructions, Deuteronomy and in Numbers, these four gold rings on the corners of, the, of that uh, Ark of the Covenant and the poles were to uh, be used to carry the Ark. And it said there were certain priests, this, this, I keep calling it a box, right? It just looks like a box. This overlaid gold box with the, Perfect holiness, perfect power, and perfect provision of God was so holy that only the priest of Aaron, who the high priest who go into that, the, the holies of holies, there's the, the tent of meeting had an outer court for some sacrifices and worship, then a holy place with some inside a tent, and then they went once a year, the high priest in the, the holy of holies where this Ark of the Covenant was to sprinkle blood from the sacrifice, the once-a-year sacrifice, to atone and wash clean the sins of Israel once a year. And it was so holy, only those Aaronic from Aaron, the descendants of, could be in that holies of holies and see it. 
And when they would move the tent of meeting, because they traveled a lot, right? They would, those priests would cover it up, all the articles up, covered up. And then a different set of priests, the Kohites, would come in and they couldn't see it or touch it, but they could grab those poles and carry it. Those were specific instructions given. This is so holy. The people never did get to see it uncovered, only the high priest. And those were instructions to give him to remind you that my presence is holy, I am holy, and you are not. So let's go into what happened more recently with the ark before David's time, okay? Eli was the priest. Samuel was just coming of of age. He was, remember, he was just a little boy growing up uh, under Eli the priest. Uh, Eli the priest had two sons uh, who were priests, and these sons were ungodly, just carnal, worldly uh, priests. They, um, and, and Israel was in a battle with the Philistines. They were losing. They got desperate. They take this ark. Let's, let's take the ark, this power of God, into the battlefield without God giving them instructions at all. Because they did do that some in, in the history before that. God would instruct. The ark would go first. They would, it would be covered so others couldn't see it. But they would go out first and they would, without weapons, these priests would go in the battle and they would win. Israelites would win these battles. So without God leading, they did that. The Philistines just whomped them and stole the ark of the covenant. What happened? Well, the Philistines take it to they swap it to three different cities over seven months because plagues broke out. Tumors, hemorrhoids, and mice. And one city would say, get this thing out of here. And they'd take it to another city. And for three months, they passed the Ark of Covenant around. The first time, they took it into their temple of the God of Dagon and put it in that room. And, and Dagon's, uh, their idol on the wall fell down overnight. And they're like, how did that happen? Was there a ghost in here? What happened? The next night, they had, they had set it all back up again, and it fell again. And it's like, what? get this, this box out of here. It has power. And so they, this is what they did. They said, okay, get two. The, their priest said, this is what you do. You gave offering of gold, of of." tumors molded in tumors and mice and put this in a box next to it and put it on a new cart and put two cows to lead it back somewhere and see if it goes. If these two milk cows are separated from their calves, they're hungry and they're going to protect their calves. They're not going to go anywhere, right? They're just going to go fine. But if they take this cart somewhere, we know that God of this Ark of the Covenant is real, and he's got a plan for it. Sure enough, these two milk cows walk out of the Philistine city and go into Israel. It was discovered you know, by the Israel community. They got all excited. They, they took the cart. They uh, used that to burn sacrifices uh, of, of those two cows. But the story goes, they ended up looking in there and some translations say 70, maybe thousands of people died trying to look into the covenant, the Ark of the Covenant. There's power in this 
the presence of God. And so Abinadab ends up, they just say, just keep this thing stored up. And Abinadab had it for 25 years in his house. And so that's where it had been sitting. So here we're coming up close now. I want to tie it into this David series. And there's actually two places that talks about this whole event here. And one's in, we've been walking through 1 Samuel. And at 2 Samuel, the next book, chapter 1 is when Saul and his sons Jonathan died, okay, in battle. And right after they died, Judah, that southern tribe, there's 12 tribes of Israel, and Saul lived up in the northern portion of the nation, David, he became king of that one tribe, Judah, which is a big tribe. So Judah uh, is now serving David at age 30. He's the king. The, and unfortunately, the one, the one uh, Saul's son who did live uh, was announced, uh, you know, made king of the northern part of Israel, and they had this civil war, awful battle. It's just terrible for seven years. And um, when... David, who grew up in Bethlehem, just a few miles away from Jerusalem, took over Jerusalem. It never had Israelites ruling in that city because it's such an awesome fortress. It's built on ravines. You have to go up to Israel. There's ravines all around it. He took over Jerusalem, and now he's, he said, I'm going to make my headquarters and kingdom in Jerusalem. Saul's kingdom has fallen. They made him king over all of the nation. And Oh, God, I'm going to get to bring that ark to Jerusalem. So he's no novice now. David, remember, he's in his older teens, 16, 17, 18, when he is anointed to be king someday. The presence of God is on him. He becomes famous after he kills Goliath, and it's been like 20 years. Now he's about 37, close to 20 years. He's been following God, seeing God protect him miraculously, come through and provide miraculously. He is, is got a lot of experience leading and serving God. And he gets so excited about uh, bringing the ark to Jerusalem and having a place of worship. He's a worshiper. He's been playing guitar in the fields, leading people in worship his life. For years, he loves worship. He gets so excited. And he actually gets 30,000 leaders together to have this massive kind of parade and this celebration to bring the ark into the city of Jerusalem. He, this is the biggest thing that's happened in the nation. The whole nation is, is uh, represented. There's nothing that's been this big uh, in the nation maybe for, you know, centuries and so we have two places that talks about this, 2 Samuel chapter 6, and a longer version with details in 1 Chronicles 13, 15, and 16. There's several chapters in there. And I'm going to read from several places there in 1 Chronicles, starting at uh, verse 13. And I'm just going to stop at each one uh, just to you know, take a look at each one and what's happening here carefully. All right, let's go. 
And David and all Israel went up to Balah, to Kerjath's Jerem, however you say that, which belonged to Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, the Lord, who dwells between the cherubim where his name is proclaimed. So even there again, it says this is where uh, the presence of God dwells for them. And this is how God designed it. This represents his presence, his power, his purity. It's so amazing. Let's go to the next verse. So they carried the ark of God on a new cart from the house of Abinadad, and Uzzah in Ohio drove the cart. Did you see that phrase, on a new cart? Does that sound familiar? That was the Philistines' idea of how to get rid of the Ark of Covenant. And, uh, you know, it, the, with the cows, they have oxen, you know, that are going to be pulling this one. I mean, it seemed like they copied these ungodly Philistines on how to transport the Ark. Let's go to the next verse. Then David and all Israel played music before God with all their might, with singing on harps, on string instruments, on tambourines, on cymbals, and with trumpets. This is, I mean, David is bringing all the musicians out. This is the biggest band you've ever seen. This is exciting. People are, they're dancing with all their might. It is loud. I mean, everything just sounds like it's going to be awesome. Next verse. And when they came to the Chidon's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to hold the ark, for the oxen stumbled. Go on. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and he struck him because he put his hand to the ark, and he died there before God. Let's pause for a moment. Wow. Wow. There were so good intentions. There was so much exciting. This is humiliating for David. He's invited 30,000 leaders to be there. This is, he is a true worshiper more than any other king in, or he's only the second king of Israel, so that didn't work that well. But he is, he is really, you know, a model of worship for the nation and, and remained to be that. And look what happens. Look what failure happened. Let's go on the verse. And David became angry because the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah. Therefore, that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. Now, who is he angry at? I'm not so sure. He could have been angry at God. He could have been, God, look at, I invited all these people, spent all this money, Doing it upright. I mean, we're trying to honor you with all this big band, and this happened, and he might have been mad at God. And I want to say, if that's true, you can get mad at God, and not, and God's not going to necessarily strike you. I don't. He's not going to strike you. You're being honest before Him on where you're at. I think, though, the other side of it could be he was mad at himself and his leaders. Uh oh. We did something wrong. One of my priests, my priests did not do the reading and study. There's something missing here. Why didn't Abinadab, who should be an expert about the ark, why didn't he tell us more details? There's something that is broken down in this whole system here. I didn't do the reading 
and study of God's word. They didn't do the reading. Somebody is messed up here and it cost an innocent man his life. So, an honest mistake that was very costly. Let's read the next verse. And David was afraid of God that day, saying, how can I bring the ark of God to me? So, I want to transition here into a theme that is really the heart of my message for today that God won't let me get away from, and he wanted me to stay here. In fact, um, we will touch on worship this morning, but this message did become at least a part two for next Sunday, Lord willing, because he wants us to stay on what is the fear of the Lord. What is the fear of the Lord? It's actually a little hard to describe. I'm just going to talk about it for a while and give an illustration. See, I believe that in that Ark of the Covenant represented his, his perfect power, his perfect provision, but his perfect purity, his holiness, was the main thing that Ark represented. And God had set up very detailed instructions Don't let people look at the Ark of the Covenant, except the high priest. Don't let the priest carry it. You have to bring the other priest to come in to carry it on the poles, on the shoulders, with the poles on. He gave very specific instructions about how holy God is and how sinful we are. That God is creator. He created us in the image of God, but then we marred that by the disobedience of Adam and Eve, and we received a sinful nature of sin, and that is on all of us, and children learn, they don't have to learn, are automatically uh, selfish. They're automatically uh, disobeyed. They automatically have a sin nature. And so God is showing here, I told you back in the Torah, the law, I gave you why, it, you know, this These rules display that I am holy, you are not. And you just took this flippantly, these these instructions flippantly. You did not look at them carefully. And you put this thing on, you know, my presence on a cart and driven by an ox. None of that's in the scripture. And you end up, no one was supposed to touch it. Uzo was being uh, helpful, he thought, but he was disobeying God after they already disobeyed God by not creating the, the proper way to carry it. And so they didn't have the fear of the Lord. They had presumption. Was David, because he had 20 years of all these miracles happening for him, he was at a high place he was at a place of victory, a place of uh, blessing after blessing after blessing. And so he just went in there with presumption that God was just going to automatically bless him again. And he didn't dig deep in the word. Now, folks, I'm not saying that if you don't dig deep in the word and you make a mistake, you're going to, you know, die like Uzzah did with some lightning strike. You know, that's not going to happen. At the same time, when we don't dig in God's word, and we live in ignorance, there's consequences for our actions. God revealed it in his word. He's given it to us. 
the instructions that we need. We fear the Lord, and so we dig into God's Word. But when we see His perfect power, His perfect purity and perfect provision, God wants our hearts to have a reverence. Look how amazing. Look how incredible you are, God. Look at your depth. Look, you're so beautiful. You're so amazing. I honor you. I reverence you. I have all of you. A great little story to remind us is Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah has seized the throne room of God. He's either taken there or he sees it. And there is the throne room of God with God in his power, his purity, and his provision, and he's almighty God. He's sitting on this throne. There's glory and light all around him. His train is so big it fills the whole temple. There's like earthquakes and tremblings all around. There's this uh, smoke of uh, power uh, going up. And Isaiah, who was a really good guy, said, oh, I, woe is me, judgment is me. I can't survive. I am ruined. And he goes, I'm a man of unclean lips from a people of unclean lips. I have a sin nature. I have selfishness that rules me. And I am, I don't deserve being here. In fact, I don't think I'll exist. This holiness is so pure and powerful, it's going to destroy me. And all along while he's seeing this, these eternal creatures are saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And there, these angels, it, it never gets old for them. It never gets trivial. It never gets familiar. It's fresh every time. And they say for eternity, eternity, holy, holy, holy. And Isaiah is seeing this. And so this, one of these uh, angels comes down and he grabs a, a, a from the altar a, a coal from the altar and touches his lips and said, your now have been your sins have been atoned for. Folks, we are in the same boat. Without Jesus Christ, we see his holiness. We are undone. Woe to us. Judgment on us. We have no chance. Our sinfulness uh, compared to the perfect power and purity of God cannot stand. That's why we need Jesus to get into heaven. You and I have zero righteousness that we can work up in our good life, our helping others, our going to church, our getting water baptized, our going on a mission trip. Those are great things in obedience to God, but it doesn't, you don't collect some kind of righteousness on your own and now, oh, I'm such a good person. I'll, I'll get into heaven. It's just those really bad people who don't get to go into heaven and they go to hell. Let me tell you, all of us stop short. We cannot, it, the righteousness and holiness only comes from God Almighty through His Son, Jesus. Thank God we don't have to do all those different 
rules and regulations on worship and all to, to get that yearly cleansing uh, through the priest act. No, it's a once for all sacrifice, folks. And it's more than enough. That his blood watches us. It touches our lips and our hearts, our whole being, and cleanses us. And we are made clean because of him. And we get to go right into heaven as if no problems at all. Let's dig in deeper about some different aspects on the fear of the Lord, okay? Psalm 111, verse 10. This is one of those several scriptures that talk about that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding. Have all those who do his commandments, his praise endures forever. So even in this psalm, this verse, you see that the fear of the Lord has the beginning of wisdom, and there's, there's things that come from it. Understanding, there's other scriptures talking about knowledge and understanding come from, the, uh, from wisdom. And that, but it's that we do his commandments. The fear of the Lord helps motivate us to do his commandments. The, uh, the fear of the Lord encourages our praise during the day. When we have that, it increases our worship. Next verse, Proverbs 14, 26, and 27. In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence, and his children will have a place of refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to turn one away from the snares of death. See, there's benefits and blessings from the fear of the Lord. We, we cultivate it in order to honor and revere our God, and yet he has blessings for us a strong confidence like a peace that we can walk in. We'll, again, Lord willing, next week, look at the strong confidence and joy that David, the second time he takes the ark into the city. The joy, the confidence that he has. He has wisdom now. He's, they've dug into God's word. They found all the instructions they needed to know. So now let's take the ark again. Let's go for it. It's going to be an awesome Sunday next week. I can't. Maybe we ought to make this, do it all today, huh? <laughs> so good. So there's the fountain of life. There's God protects us from the snare of death when we have the fear of the Lord. This is the Proverbs 14. So we know in its common knowledge, if you read these Proverbs and Psalms often, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And it's not a worldly wisdom, a secular wisdom where people can just talk and talk, philosophize. You go, man, they're deep. You know, wow, that's really interesting how they connect all that. But if you don't know their life, you don't know if they're wise. If their life is full of that peace that, that comes from a strong confidence, a, a fountain of life, a, a, a com- living a holy life in, in yeah, and there's blessings being passed out of their life to other people, younger generations. Okay, yeah, they're wise. Because it's not just philosophizing, it's living out. You might say, you know, Stephen, this is a really interesting Old Testament story. Uh, hey, you know, uh, that, that whole uh, the Ark of the Covenant having all this power and people looking in it and, and some dying in the plagues because of the Ark. I mean, that's, but those are Old Testament stories. And back, you know, isn't that in Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lockhart? They did the same thing, right? I mean, which is, 
And, uh, and yeah, they took that theme in the Raiders of Lars Ark, Ark, you know, and, and Indiana's going, Marion, don't look, keep your eyes closed, you know, and the, the powers, you know, wiping everybody away who's looking in there. And, um, uh, and, and I saw the recent uh, Indiana Jones movie. Pretty impressive, an 81-year-old guy can pull off an action flick, you know, and he's still running around getting chased and punching bad guys. I mean, that's amazing, you know. And so it's, it was a pretty good movie. But um, so it's just, it's just Old Testament stuff. We don't need to take that seriously. That fear of the Lord, that's kind of Old Testament language, you know. I mean, God is the God of love. Jesus is the God of love. Let's, let's go spend some time in some New Testament scriptures, okay? And this is out of Luke chapter 12. And um, Jesus is, in this chapter, he's speaking to just hundreds and thousands. The crowd is just, it says they're starting to step on one each other, even trample on one another. And he starts talking to those who are listening about the hypocrisy of the religious leaders. And he says, listen, he said, they're religious leaders, they look great on the outside, but, and most people knew this, because it, 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 but all things will be revealed. All things will be revealed. Whatever they're hiding from all this outward religious uh, activity will be seen in the light. You cannot fake God out. And the hypocrisy will come out. So he's warning them, don't be a hypocrite. And then he goes into this verse, verse 5. Um, let me actually start on verse 4. It's not up there, but let me start on verse 4. And I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. Verse 5, but I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. So Jesus himself is speaking and talking about fearing God, the one who created heaven and earth, and that there's a hell for judgment for those who do not choose him. That's the one you want to fear. It's, it's amazing to me that people want to philosophize about the afterlife and you're just creating your own philosophical concepts and talk about how this could be this and, and it feels so good and it feels, wow, I'm, so, I'm one of those uh, pontificating philosophers, professor types and I'm, what could happen to us and then we go in and it's, uh, how in the world do you know? What kind of authority are you? You're placing your eternal life on your own ideas and concepts. You're reading somebody else who's just coming up with their own concept. Listen, you need an authority that leads and guides you that makes sense that says, yes, the afterlife is real and you can have one with Jesus Christ, the one who created heaven by receiving his blood and being cleansed so you won't have received the wrath of God and the judgment of God. Verse 6 and 7. Now, this is really interesting. The next sentence, he says, Are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins, and not one of them is forgotten before God? So he's turning. He said, listen, God is so attentive 
to all that he created, that even sparrows, the smallest of birds, not one of them is forgotten. And that's where Sparrow Mission gets their name, that none is forgotten, not even the sparrow, not a child in Honduras where we are. Not one child is going to be forgotten. So this, yes, fear God who, who can kill the body and the soul, but then he even cares about the sparrows. Next verse. But the very hair, hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear. Therefore, you, are, you are, are of more value than many sparrows. So he says, fear him. And then he says, do not fear. Because you are more valuable than many sparrows. So it's this concept that's like paradox where there's these two opposing things. Fear God and yet do not fear because he cares for you so much. The very details of your head, he numbers them and that'd be pretty easy uh, for Bobby to number them. You know, it'd be easy for any of them. But hey, you know. And so there is this, this dual work of God happening at the same time. The C.S. Lewis um, Aslan quote, for me, illustrates this so well from the line, the witch in the wardrobe. And Susan and the children are just meeting the beaver family, and they're finding out that there's an Aslan, that there is this ruler of the land, and he's a lion. And this is how this conversation goes. Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Ooh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. So he's the lion. He's the king of the jungle. And one swipe, he can wipe you out. And one bite, he can kill any creature out there. But he's good. He's powerful. He's all-powerful. So fear him. Yes, revere him. Uh, Follow him. And yet, he's good. You can trust him. You can trust him. What is holiness? It's his perfect purity. It's versus our utter unrighteousness. We have no ability to produce holiness and righteousness on our own. It is the work of the Father through His Son, Jesus. And His blood cleanses us from all sin. So this is a New Testament issue as well. I'm going to go to a couple more verses. I said a couple. Actually, it's more than... No, it's a lot more than a couple. One of my time. Let's see. Yeah, just just forget I said that. Don't even think about numbers here. A couple more New Testament scriptures specifically... 2 Corinthians 7, 1. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all, all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So this is the Apostle Paul using this phrase, in the fear of God. It's part of our living a life where we are cleansed, where the filthiness of the world trying to overtake us is defeated. It's trying to take our flesh and spirit and callous it. And yet... We want to resist that. Now, I believe that David here 
with his intimacy that he had been experiencing with the Lord, the many blessings, and he's in a high place of these numerous blessings, the friendship he had, the love he had, that he became carefree and presumptuous. I believe he became superficial in this great parade that he created and not inquiring of the Lord and digging deep in God's word. And that can happen to us. We can become familiar. Oh, it's, an, it's another church service. It's another worship service. It's another prayer meeting. I can miss it. It's just my quiet time. You know, I'll try to grab it later. Lord, whatever, whatever it is, oh God, expose. And I know you've been exposing in my life. Letting busyness crowd out worship, cried out, cried out the word. And Lord, this is compromise of your holiness. It is living superficially about the area of holiness in our lives. Holy Spirit, convict us. Paul also said in Philippians 2, verse 12 and 13, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my... In my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Realize that, yes, there is this onslaught from the world trying to uh, bring filthiness. There is temptations from uh, the enemy. The devil has plans to trip you up. He's got strategies. You are in a battle. Listen, There is, you are in a battle. You've got to face this like a battle. And that your own flesh, though kicked out of your heart because Jesus lives there, still wars in your members, as Romans 7 says, to try to drag you into a place of callousing your heart, hardening your heart, and turning away from God. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. But listen to what the next verse says. There's great hope, verse 13. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do is good pleasure. So though it's a great battle, though as there's this onslaught from the world, oh, thank God, it's God who works in me, both to give me that desire to worship, to give me that desire to obey him, to will it and empower me to follow through with those desires. So we have God on our side. It's that paradox, have fear and trembling, but Hey, you have the promise that God is the one working in you. You've got all you need. You're dressed to kill, to defeat the enemy with the armor of God. I provide all of that you need. Even in the Lord's Prayer, it says, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Jesus, when he said our Father was different because in the Hebrew Scriptures, they were teach, uh, to, to address God as God, the Lord. They didn't describe Him as Father in their prayers. And Jesus said, this is how I want you to pray, Father. It's a term of endearment, term of, of closeness, family closeness, of intimacy. And then the next phrase is, hallowed, holy is to be lifted up and honored the name of God. So one doesn't cancel out the other. So, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, we know that, and also the beginning 
of holiness. I'm going to ask the uh, praise team to come on up because we are going to have time of worship here at the end. I'm trusting God. God has us at a different place to start that worship. I'm just going to read a few things here. I'm going to read a, a verse out of Psalm and then describe the things that happen here. Psalm 103, verse 1. This is a Psalm of David. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. What is worship? It's when you decide to bless the Lord. And your expressions of love and honor, they bless him. It's simple. It's just a sincere expression from your heart of love and honor, and that blesses him. Bless the Lord, all my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Folks, the vision statement we have is reflecting our DNA, our history, being abandoned to God and compassionate toward people. That would be be a people that would bless his holy name with all that is within me, with abandon, that he would be the preeminent focus, our focus of worship of our lives and when we gather. And so what I'm asking for us today, and and we'll look at this more carefully um, next week, but when David comes back into the city with the ark the next time, He tells the priests that are all involved, he says, go consecrate yourselves and your homes to prepare yourself, set your part aside unto God for this purpose of honoring the holiness of God. And that's how I just want to end our teaching here and look forward to next week where God is is stirring our hearts for worship. Thank you, Jesus, for making us holy. If you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, if you're online hearing this message this morning or later on, and you say, I don't know that holiness, that righteousness that you talk about, you can have it today. If you turn from living life your way and you turn to Jesus. In fact, let's say that prayer together with out loud with me if you would and if you want to have that pure relationship with God and receive that cleansing you can do it right now in a honest sincere prayer before God dear Jesus I want a relationship with you you are holy and I am not Cleanse me by your blood. Wash me new. I believe that you died on the cross and you rose from the grave.
I'm your child now. For now and for eternity. Jesus, in a fresh way, we're asking you to help us consecrate ourselves. That just means set ourselves apart in our hearts for you. Yes, there's all kinds of things going around us, our lives, and pressures and issues and family issues, work issues. There's a lot of things going on. But still, I set apart myself at this time to focus on you, to adore you, to revere you, to honor you. You deserve it so much. And help us do this with sincerity. Help us do this with a a fresh, soft heart towards you. you've called us to boldly 
Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. We see your face. It's beautiful. It glows with love. It glows with goodness. We can trust you. You want intimacy with us. And your sacrifice to give us your righteousness is that path to that intimacy. Thank you for paying the price to give us that righteousness, holiness, and fresh and new relationship with you. We're so grateful. being also going to bless you into this week so those who need to leave now or soon can do that or uh, but those who wanted to stay worship some more we're going to do it some more father god father who art in heaven hallowed be your name holy is your name 
secure is your power and glory. We honor you, Abba Father. Bless us into this week, Lord, that we would be stirred in praise and worship and thanksgiving. Lord, we can't wait to come back and worship you corporately together next Sunday. How how fun that is, Lord. We're asking, we're anticipation, give us anticipation for that unified worship of you next Sunday. We humble ourselves before you. We receive your grace for a blessing into our week. Thank you, God. We have altar ministry team people that are going to be here on the side available for you for prayer during this time and, and for a while. Um, it could be about anything in your life. It could be something at work, something in your health. If you're online on Sunday morning, we have an available person by phone for you to call that prayer number and receive prayer by phone. Let's keep worshiping if you can.